Our series is simply entitled A Closer Look at Church. Join us as we take a look at the four basic titles for New Testament church leaders next on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. It's a look at the First Thessalonian model church. Welcome to the broadcast. This is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. As we continue with our series, A Closer Look at the Church, we find ourselves back in First Thessalonians, looking at the four basic titles for New Testament church leaders, an elder, overseer, or bishop, pastor, and leader. And also, what is the leader of the church? What are they to look like? How are they to lead in God? Join us as we seek to answer these questions and find encouragement from God's Word for those around us who would lead us. Here's Pastor Steve Counters with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you. That was the first thing, that they work among you and are over you. They have authority over you. And they teach you or they admonish you, it says in verse 12. And then it says, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work and be at peace among yourselves. I have to admit, this morning, um, this message kind of makes me feel a little uncomfortable (laughs) in a way because it can be very easily, uh, I think, misinterpreted. Last week, we looked at the uh, shepherd's responsibility to the sheep. This week, we're looking at the sheep's responsibility to the shepherd. And as we go through this, I pray that you'll take it in the right light. It's not meant to be self-serving in any way, believe me, Um, but it's meant to show us how we can uh, better treat our spiritual leaders that are over us in the Lord. And um, as the family of God, our hearts and lives must support those and help and hold to account those spiritual leaders um, in our church. And I just want to read a section out of, and we'll be visiting this again, out of Hebrews chapter 13, verses 16 and 17. It says, But do not forget to do good and share... For with such sacrifice, God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable to you. There's a lot of misunderstanding and I think even uh, unrealistic expectations when it comes to uh, the role of a pastor. There's one little thing I ran across, you may have heard this before, called the perfect pastor. It says, the perfect pastor, well, I blew it on the first point here, the perfect pastor preaches exactly ten minutes. <laughs> he condemns sin roundly, but never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. until midnight, and he's also the church janitor. The perfect pastor makes about 40 bucks a week, wears good clothes, drives a good car, uh, buys good books and donates 30 bucks a week to the church. <laughs> He's 29 years old, but he has 40 years of experience. Above all, he's handsome. A perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers, and yet he spends most of his time with the senior citizens. He smiles all the time with a straight face. 
because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his church. (laughs) He makes 15 home visits a day and is always in his office to be handy when needed. The perfect pastor always has time for the church meetings and councils and committees. He never misses the meeting of any church organization and is always busy evangelizing the unchurched. (laughs) The perfect pastor is always in the church next door. If your pastor does not measure up, simply send this notice to six other churches that are tired of their pastor and then bundle up your pastor and send him to the church at the top of the list. (laughs) If everyone cooperates, in one week you'll receive 1,643 pastors. (laughs) One of them should be perfect. So esteem them highly in love for their work's sake. I just wanted to share with you quickly this morning, and we have communion, we'll be spending a little time doing that, but um, just a brief message on, on the role of the sheep to the shepherd, because there is a role there, and it's not just one way. Um, but I want to first, you know, last week we looked at the, the responsibility of the shepherd's To the sheep, and it's one of laboring among you, it says. They have authority over you, it says, in the Lord. This isn't an ego thing. And they also provide instruction for the sheep. Um, But just in way of introduction, I just want to read out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16, because the church clearly gave some, it says in verse 11, apostles, or the Lord gave. Apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Ephesians 4.12 says, To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I want to talk to you just in a way of introduction about the call of the shepherd. What does it mean to be called as a pastor? And you say, well, what is that role? It's, it's, it's a role of spiritual leadership, of pastoral leadership. I would define it this way. A specific call placed upon those men who have been effectually chosen by God, demonstrated the character of Christ, and have been given the necessary gifts for the purpose of building, equipping, overseeing, and serving the local church. Pastoral leadership begins with a call to Christ and thus to ministry. And by God's grace, a man is given the character and gifts necessary to lead the church. Well, I put a couple things down here, just things that kind of popped into my mind. What does it mean to be called as a pastor? Well, first of all, pastoral ministry is multifaceted. You don't just get up on a Sunday and preach a sermon and that's all you do. There's a multiple, uh, multiplicity of the things that you do, administrating, shepherding, discipling. 
All those things are important to the role of a pastor. It may be that call that comes at 2 in the morning and you're at the ER till 5 a.m. with someone. It may be those uncomfortable situations that you're put in from time to time where you're called by God to rebuke and to exhort and correct and encourage people that you love dearly. But it has to be done. It's really discipling those who may not see the ministry as service-oriented, but more of the ministry is servicing them, and yet not use the pulpit as a bully pulpit for our own agenda. It's taking a stand against the flesh, against the superficiality of this world when those indulge in it. It's speaking the truth in love, no matter what. See, ministry isn't just teaching. Being a pastor isn't just teaching. It isn't just being in front of a group of people. First of all, I think, bottom line, above all, it's serving. It's serving Christ. It's serving the people of God. It's serving the sheep. Pastoral ministry is serving the Lord first in our own heart. It is understanding that one day we'll stand before God and be held account with what we've done, with what God has blessed us with. So it's multifaceted. It's also serving the Lord first. And that has to be, that has to be a desire that God gives you. This isn't something you can fake, okay? You just can't. Thirdly, pastoral ministry is sacrificing time with your own family. Um, there's a demand put upon someone who's in what we could say is given their life to full-time ministry in some form or fashion. And you know what? The family's down here on, on the, the ladder. If my family was number one, I would not be in this church. I would be in a church in Virginia near my grandchildren near my daughter, near my son-in-law. And I would probably jump around every three years with them and have an itinerant, somehow have an itinerant ministry because <laughs> I want to spend time with my grandchildren as they grow up. You know what that's like. You know what it's like to spend time with your family. See, and when in pastoral ministry, you're making a conscious choice to say, okay, you know what, that's important, but it's not that important. It's important that I spend time with my grandchildren and my daughter and my son-in-law, but it's not as important as I spending time with you here in this place that God has called me to. So there's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice when your family starts to get older and your family of nine begins to dwindle to a family of four <clears throat> and begin to question in your mind, ah, maybe I should have spent more time with it. Maybe I... Well, that's not on the... It's not up to you to decide. I think of some missionaries, people like the Kennels, who have given their entire life to not just ministry, but ministry in a foreign country. Ministry in countries sometimes where they can't even spend time with their own kids. They put their kids in a school, sometimes hundreds, thousands of miles away from them as a family because it's unsafe for the children to be on the field. And so they're put in a, a school a missionary kids' school with a bunch of other missionary kids 
And to the world, that may look as, oh, how horrible is that? They're deserting their own family. Well, in a way they are, but they're deserting their own family for the Lord. And the last time I checked, that's exactly what Jesus demands. <laughs> Jesus says, unless you, you know, your love for me should be such that your love for your family almost seems as hate. It's not telling you to hate your family in that text. He's saying your love for me should be so much more abundant than your love for your spouse or your children or your family or your relatives that it almost seems as hate when compared to your love for me. So there's, there's a sacrifice there. This one comes hard. This next one is, is hard at times. Pastoral ministry is always, always subordinating your will to the will of God. Always. No exception. Well, what do you mean? Well, I could think of a lot of states in this beautiful country of ours that I would love to serve the Lord in simply for economic reasons. Be a lot cheaper. You could live a lot easier. The Bay Area of all places, Lord, why did you call me here? But see, it's not up to me. It's up to God. It's what God's will is for that pastor. And they're willing to yield to it. The pastoral ministry is never to be used for self-serving, but it's always self-crucifying. It's, it's pretty much a life of continual sacrifice. It's a life of living in the fishbowl. <laughs> of sometimes... Hearing accusations or in, innuendos, maybe even outright falsehoods about you or your family. And yet, somehow being able to press on and set it aside. I think pastoral ministry would probably drive you to paranoia if you're not called by God. <laughs> I really do. Because pastoral ministry is depending upon God, really, to defend you in, in some of these situations. As 1 Peter 5, 6 says, that's what God has called the pastor to. And it's not reacting with kind of a vicious heart or whatever. We're to, we're to respond in grace. And when we don't, people are quickly to point that out. It's often a humanly lonely calling. Because pastoral ministry sometimes really is serving in what I like to say obscurity. I remember when I was flying back east one time and I looked down. We were out in Nebraska somewhere and there these little towns like just, you know, you'd fly for five minutes. You see a little tiny little thing down there. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, you know what, there's a pastor in that town that's called by God to pastor those five people or those ten people or fifteen people or whatever God has given them. He doesn't live in the Bay Area. He lives somewhere out in the middle of the plains of Kentucky or, or Nebraska or wherever somewhere. Where if everybody in the whole town showed up to one of his church meetings, maybe he'd have 20, 30 people. It's obscurity. But that's where God has called them. And sometimes we, we forget that. We forget that it's a, it's a life calling. And a lot of times, that calling is upon that individual. Sometimes that calling is not upon the wife. 
Sometimes that calling is not upon the children. I remember when we relocated from the Bay Area down to the desert. Our daughter wasn't thrilled about that. Being yanked out of her, her, her whole environment of friends that she's lived all of her life with to go to a place she doesn't know anybody. To start high school. <laughs> it's a sacrifice. And a lot of times that sacrifice happens in what you can say is, is almost obscurity. Pastoral ministry is constantly relying upon God. Constantly relying upon God. See, this isn't my agenda. This is not, I, I am here at the will of God. And, you know, after I first came to this church, I had a, probably a six-month plan. You know, we're going to grow this church. We're gonna, and, then, and then after six months, that plan went to 12 months. And, and after 12 months, it went to 18 months. And then finally, I just threw my hands up and said, you know what? God, I don't know what you want to do. I just want to be faithful to teach your word. And I'm going to be happy with whatever you bring me. And you know what? You know my gifts. You know my abilities. And, and I don't want to be overwhelmed. And yet, I don't want to be underwhelmed. So, Lord, this is up to you. You said that you would grow this church, Jesus. It's your church. It's not my church. It's not the people's church. And I remember kind of feeling that burden lift off my back because there's a lot of pastors that go into ministry that have an incredible burden placed upon them to the point, especially in this church growth kind of mentality that we have today. The church, as always, has to be growing in number. Hey, would it be to God that it happens? We should do everything within our, our possibilities to share the gospel with those who have yet to hear and come to Christ. But also, we need to be reminded that it's, it's his church. And he will dictate the size of this church. And the minute we begin to do that, then we are bringing in things from the world and, and, and really kind of superimposing them upon his church. And saying, well, we need to dumb things down because unbelievers wouldn't feel comfortable here. Or we need to do this. Or we need to do that. Or we need to have, you know, more of an entertaining kind of a music agenda on Sunday morning. And we'll get the younger crowd and we'll do this. And we'll... There's all sorts of books and things that you can do to manipulate the local church. And a lot of times it's done, they say, for the glory of God. But a lot of times it's because, you know what, that pastor needs that church to grow. Basically, so he could maybe feel better about himself. And so pastoral ministry is constantly relying on God to do his work in the local body. Hopefully, you're a, a, a conduit that he works through. But pastoral ministry is also waiting patiently on God in service. It's working with people that sometimes are transient. They're here today, gone tomorrow. Or maybe they're just sitting back, they're uncommitted. Or maybe they're just babes in Christ and they need that extra attention. But it's, it's waiting on God in service. In other words, you don't sit back and say, well, I'm just going to wait till we have 100 people, then I'll start pastoring. No. I remember as a youth pastor, we used to plan some kind of what we thought was pretty big events. You know, we thought maybe we'd have 100 kids come out or something for a pizza feed all night, bowling thing or whatever, you know, and... and it, the end of the whole thing, you know, you have three or four kids show up. And the life is just sucked out of you. And you're looking at these three or four kids, and you've got to make a decision. Do you cancel it? Do you say, ah, oh, you know, we're not going to do it. We're going to go home. No, you could never do that. 
So you trudge on and you take those three or four kids and you make them think like, man, this whole event is about them. <laughs> and to be honest, those were some of the nicest and, and well-remembered events that, that we put on. Those times that you could spend that intimate time and those kids just lit up when they realized, wow, you're going to do this anyway? There's only four of us. Yeah, but you're the four. You mean something. Sometimes that call to ministry means waiting on God to supply your needs. Sometimes it involves working a full-time job. Sometimes it involves working a part-time job as well as the ministry. Before I came here, I did that for years. Most of the churches I served in as a youth pastor was, you know, it was a part-time kind of call or a full-time call, but it was a, it was a part-time remuneration. So, you you know, I worked at a picture frame shop. I, I um, worked for the uh, train company. They unloaded all those brand-new cars. That was kind of a, a cool job, drive the brand-new cars off the, the railroad um, I, did, I worked in a warehouse, did all sorts of things. And that was all not for an agenda to have a career in that, but it was so that God could supply the need so that I could serve the local body. But part of that was waiting patiently for God to work. Pastoral ministry, 1 Timothy chapter 6, says that it's, it's not a means of great gain. You're not going to get rich if you're sincere in the ministry doing what a pastor does. You're just not. Because that's not where your heart is. Now, yeah, there are some pastors that you see them on TV once in a while. You know, they drive in their Lear, fly in their Lear jets and they do all that. I think they're looking for ministry as a means to great gain. They're, they're bilking people out of money. That's not a calling of a pastor, though. And so pastoral ministry is a, it's a joy to be called. It really is. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Um, really, it's the only option for the person who's really called to ministry. If you can find happiness doing anything else, then you need to go do it. <laughs> when I was down in Riverside County, I worked with the DA's office for two years, and I loved that job. I just loved it. I had a little badge, I had a car, had health benefits, I had you know the, the retirement thing, I had everything. And I'm thinking, man, this is great. And I remember when that envelope came from Grace Bible Church, I didn't want to open it. <laughs> really didn't. I didn't want to go down that road again. Been there, done that. I, I like this job. Man, I got, all oh, everything's getting lined up. You know, this is neat. But that's not what God called me to do. Some people look at pastors and they say, oh, that guy must, he must have tried everything else and couldn't excel at anything, so he's... Bilking, bilking the church or whatever, you know. He's taking money from the church. He's, he's got it easy. Um, pastoral ministry can be a, a frustrating hurricane that will just blow you down. We've had some high winds here lately. It will, will blow that, that presumptuousness right out of you if you enter in with the idea that it's going to be some great grandeur and, you know, you're going to envision yourself of some, you know, golden-tongued orator in front of thousands. And, you know, I, I talk to young guys in ministry and they're planning churches. <clears throat> and, you know, I mean, praise God, some of the ministries do take off, but most of them don't. And so they'll go down to Rick Warren's church and they'll go through his little church 101 thing and they'll go back and they'll try it in their town and it just doesn't work. You know, they're left with 20 people. 
And they're thinking, man, it worked down there. And they get frustrated. And they forget that, look, it's not about having the right program. It's not about having your own agenda. It's about doing what God has called you to do. And the only reason you do that is because in the end, pastoral ministry is serving God with no other reward but to know that in the end, you can stand before him one day and hear those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. It's all wrapped up in that. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.